clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're here to talk about the ninth episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This one is called The Ride. It's all about riding. (laughs) So the title clearly means the ride home from the hospital, right? That we've all made, if you've had kids or maybe you've heard about from your own parents, maybe driving you home from the hospital. So we've all experienced this on some level. Either you were the the driver or the ridee, perhaps in the back. Maybe you're taking a puppy home. It's it's similar. Taking a puppy home, exactly. That's a possibility. (laughs) So let's go to Randall this time, Paul, because he has both a flashback and a flashback forward in this and kind of like a tiny mini arc in this episode. I think the central question that Randall's um, story is meant to address is how important is it growing up to have people that look like you in your family? And because that was something that previous uh, seasons didn't really address with him, except for, you know, needing to search for his mom as a teenager. But that was a very, that was like a one episode kind of thing. Right. The letter writing in the yeah. park. Whereas in this season, it's it's becoming a much more in the forefront of, of Randall's preoccupation with his history. Well, and this one falls more along gender lines, though, that, you know, wanting a son, wanting someone who looks like you as a, you know, from a boy standpoint, which was a little bit of a twist on that, because here he had three girls. And so I was taking it like, yes, he wants someone who looks like him. This time it isn't about the color of his skin, but it's about his gender. But he loosened up on that. After. But there was the mini arc, right? Where, yeah. where when they're all they're all grown. I, I thought that this was a really beautiful episode for Randall, actually. This is what I was craving last week with Rebecca and Jack, where I was saying, if you're going to bring back them as, you know, a younger people, show me something we haven't seen before. So having Annie's birth story and showing her coming home from the hospital was the neglected totally... Pearson. Yeah, which I love, Annie. I wish they would play with her more. This was a completely missing piece of the puzzle in terms of information that we had loved seeing them loved like Beth's hair I loved their dynamic loved the the Dairy Queen Blizzard business all of that was super cute and again like going to that little tiny thread of you know wanting someone who looks like you you know wanting to have your family look like you be similar to yourself I thought it played out really nicely actually when you see all three women grown and just how beaming proud he was to see their three faces you could tell like there was nothing more that he needed he didn't need them to be boys in order to see himself in them i thought it was really lovely speaking of the flash forward that you just mentioned was that just deja made to look older or did they just cast the most perfect older version of deja now, okay, so for you guys, we watch these on screeners before you guys see them, so we don't have the credits. So we are not able to look up and see, but I do not believe it's the exact same actress. I believe it is just fantastic casting per, per use. Um, as soon as I saw her, though, standing there as a as a, what appeared to be a resident, right, in yeah. medical school, mm-hmm. um, as soon as I saw her, I was like, Deja. And then I was like confused when she was like talking to, to other people. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a flash forward Deja. And then I was kind of 
kind of embarrassed. Like, I was like, why did I think that was Deja? What is wrong with me? Like, who is this person going to be, you know, related to? And then I like saw them all like starting to convene with, you know, with Annie picking her up. And then, you know, of course, it's the second she's standing next to Tessa. I was like, duh, duh, duh. You know, <laughs> it was her, my gut instinct that, that her face just was like right on for casting. And again, love that these flash forwards and flashbacks for Randall's story, it's actually filling in the gaps for everyone. I love the idea that Annie would be picking Deja up, like that the girls are still so close, you know, into adulthood. That warms my heart. And that they're all obviously close and have a great relationship with Randall and Beth. Yay! You know, and, and Deja's on a great path. We know Tess was doing great with her social work job. We didn't get that much on Annie. I was kind of getting the idea of maybe she was like still a student. Well, we saw that she's driving a Tesla. And uh, by today's standards, that's wild. <laughs> driving a, a, a Tesla is not necessarily an attainable uh, car for most young people. Oh, God. What kind of statement <laughs> is that? Say that again. That's silly. That is a very expensive, extravagant car for anyone. Very lavish. I mean, that might be an indicator. Maybe in 10 years or whenever this is taking place, it's a different story, but now it's... What do you think then? Do you think, Aunt, is, is this Annie married into money? Annie, like, invented something? What did Annie do that she, maybe she earned all this money? How could you earn all this money so quickly? She's so young. I don't mean to say she has to marry into money as in she can't have her own money, but I was just trying to think of how could you become instantly have enough money Win the lottery or something? We I don't know what's so going to so little to go on with little girl Annie. Uh, oh, I love her so much, though. She's so cute. So, yeah, it's too soon to tell with that girl. But unfortunately, the, the Randall storyline was one that I connected the least with. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, uh, I think it's because I've never had to face that problem exactly. When I was growing up, people always told me I looked like my mom. <laughs> and when I had kids, people always told me my girls look like me. So and you never wanted a boy that looked just like you cuz our boy definitely looks just like me. You know, it didn't it didn't occur to me. No, I didn't have that same driver that Randall did. That doesn't make it a, a, a bad section. It just makes it's like it's like every week there's sections that connect more with you and those that connect less. This yeah. was one that connected less with me, but as usual there was Beth there to pull me through with uh, <laughs> everything that she said. Like what did she say when she finally got the blizzard? Do not bother me for the next half an hour or <laughs> something like that. I love her so much. Everything about her is that like perfect amount of like sass and and just intelligence and you know she's not going to hold her tongue about anything I, I love it love it love it she's such a fantastic partner and and just like the whole your eyes are both going to cry and laugh and stuff at the same time like I completely like guffawed at that because that's so Randall you know at any given time you don't know if he's going to start crying or laughing and sometimes it's almost like a little bit of both when he's re responding to something he he's so full of emotions and then she's just got just this this much more pulled together facade that she keeps on, you know, where she's going to take in the information and she's going to absorb it and she's going to decide what to do with it. He is just all on the surface all the time. This part I thought was great. Again, they did this week what I wanted last week. They brought in information and it was just really small scenes really from the past. You know, who would have thought an entire episode could be of them just driving Annie home from the hospital? We didn't get all the information. We didn't see her being born. We didn't see anything. I mean, it was very much about the car ride home and about the conversation in the car ride home. 
The car ride conversation on the way home can be kind of wild, I think, because I know for us, we had a a very interesting conversation with our twins because they were born so early for us. They were born at 23 weeks. So for for those of you who haven't been pregnant or don't know anything about pregnancy, that's 17 weeks early. So we got a lot of weird responses at first where people didn't know whether to say sorry that they were born so early or congratulations that you had kids. So there was this strange two-week period of just like, we don't know what to say to you. And I can remember driving home from the hospital and being like, definitively looking at you and saying, I want congratulations now. This is it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I know exactly how I want to go forward on this one. Now, our girls were still very sick, very tiny. They had a long way to go, but I was done with any of the sympathetic looks or any of the pitifulness. And I don't think I looked back on that. <laughs> I don't I don't think I allow those things to happen anymore either. It's pretty much over. Now I don't remember our third, which would have been probably more akin to Annie. I don't remember driving home from Jack in terms of what the conversation would have been. Probably a lot more like I'm super tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me neither. How uh, many people are at the house? Yeah, that span of time when we only had two kids up until when we started having three kids at the house is very blurry to me. It all kind of runs together, including I remember going to the hospital for Jack's birth and different parts of the uh, of the His birth was so scene. planned and everything. It was ridiculous. His was induced, so it was a completely different experience for us. But I, I think the ride home was pretty pretty chill, to be honest with you. I don't yeah, remember. It was probably like, do you need to stop for anything? Yeah, uh, like, do we need anything? It was almost Halloween, so we were probably like, do we have Halloween candy? I don't really know. <laughs> you right. know? It was probably really, really casual. Much more like the conversation, probably, like, you know, what Beth was talking about with the, like, let's just get a blizzard and stuff like that, the kind of light and easy conversation. Now, I've heard tons of times when people have girls where people will say, are you going to try for a boy? It didn't end up needing to be a, a conversation in our house, but it's certainly we hear it all the time. Why do you think that that is when someone has two or three of one gender? And why do you think that they push so hard the societally? Man, I never totally connected with that. But then I never had like a preset number of kids that I wanted to have. Some people just have that, I yes. guess. I, I, I'm not sure where that programming comes in. I think it's got to come from some sort of need to want to experience everything. Like I want to go to a ballet recital, but I also want to go to, you know, a baseball game or whatever. And now these are very obvious stereotypical gender rules because could your son be in ballet? Of course. Could your daughter play baseball? Of course. I did. It's not like that anymore. But I guess you want to sort of think like you want to be like mother of the bride and mother of the groom or blah, 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 whatever. You feel like you want to experience all the things. And, you know, this is sort of your shot to do that. But, you know, I don't subscribe to it. Again, though, we're kind of unfair because we have both girls and boys. So we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, this kind of stuff Randall was saying was kind of gendery, right? The, oh, very much. I want to play catch or whatever that stuff is. And I just didn't have that personally. That was so gender. There, There's well, all, there's the more, element of carry on my name. Yeah. Uh, there's that part of it that you some You have more of an arts have. background, which I think tends to be more gender neutral. I think that your arts and music background tends to be like, you could be a girl or a guy and be into music and arts. Everything's so. a drum. <laughs> 
everything's a drum. Exactly, exactly. So overall, though, I thought Randall and Beth hit it out of the park this week. I enjoyed their segments, and I enjoyed getting to see where Randall's girls sort of end up at this future standpoint, because that seems to be the end point for us. I don't know if that's as far as we're going to go, but if it is, I'm really happy. I'm really proud of them. They, they all look healthy and happy and successful, and for that, I'm, I'm very proud of, of what's happened for Randall. Any guess who's uh, pulling up in that mystery vehicle? <gasps> well, I mean, the only one who, in theory, when this would have played out, because we don't exactly know when Randall went out on the porch, you know, mm-hmm. so we don't exactly know when this played out. In theory, this would be Kate's family, whomever is in there, whether it's Haley and Jack, whether it's Kate is in that car too, don't know. But I think that it's the third sibling's family. Could be Mrs. Kevin. Could be Mrs. Kevin. I hadn't She's even, missing. I, can't, I had not even considered that it could be Mrs. Kevin, but you're totally right. Funny that they would all gather at his house before he gets there and before she gets there. <laughs> no, she just ran out. He ran out realizing there wasn't enough food in the house. So he just ran out to get takeout food. So he wasn't like not home. He just was like, oh crap, I don't have enough food to feed everybody. This seems like a moment when things are congealing at a time when it wasn't necessarily, uh, it obviously wasn't planned because you have to go all the way back to Beth being called from work, you know, and having to go. Mm-hmm. And and Tess having to be called at work and having to go. Like, this was not like a, we're all going to meet on Sunday for dinner at Kevin's house. This is, seems to be happening organically, but rather quickly. Gotcha. Th- that's my read on the situation. Speaking of timing, that it's important to understand the context of, we have the Rebecca and Jack taking the triplets home, or not triplets, but twins and Randall home, and everything that played out with those scenes. And we are reminded once again of where we are in Jack's journey as an alcoholic. It may seem like, you know, the last time we saw Jack with his alcoholism, he had already gone through AA. So, you know, he's cured, but it's actually, he's much closer to the beginning of that. If we're going to pick this period of time, um, why do you suppose we did that? Is it, is it, is it, potentially just to juxtapose the Kevin story since those two storylines are are uh, tied together in this episode? I think so. I mean, I'm sorry to admit that it took me a lot of thinking about where Jack was in his journey with alcohol at this point, right when the kids were born. Because if you think about it, we've had so many flashbacks to this time with Dr. K, with the babies being born, with her going into labor, it was his birthday, all those things. And never once has alcohol played into those stories. So I don't feel like I have a good, good handle. We know that he gets into AA when the kids are older. We know that he was drinking when Rebecca's dad took Jack golfing. Yeah. There's kind of a blank zone of like, I don't know if drinking was a problem per se at this point, or if it was just something that went on, like they drank at the bar, you know, we knew that they went and watched the Steelers games, that type of stuff. So I'm a little unsure how upset to be. I know that a lot of fans were upset when they saw him drink the whiskey and appear to get back in the car with the kids. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm glad that they played it out the way where he said, why don't you go ahead and drive to Rebecca? Now, having said that, super unrealistic (laughs) because someone might have thought, well, you know, maybe she didn't have stitches or maybe she was totally fine. So maybe it would be kind of okay for her to drive because anyone who's had any type of stitches, you can't, you're not supposed to drive because if you got into some sort of accident at all, that all that would just burst open. So you absolutely are not supposed to drive. New moms typically are not advised to drive for some period of time because everything's kind of loose and messy down there. If you were to get in an accident, things would be in bad shape. 
So it didn't play out. And also they went through the trouble of saying when she turned her body to look at the kids. It hurt. It hurt her stitches. Yeah. So we like knew that she was like post-op in that way. Arg, Paul, because I mean, obviously this was a bad sitch on Jack's part. Being overwhelmed with the triplets, again, this is such a spin on all the flashbacks they've shown us in terms of this exact period of time. We've seen them be overwhelmed. Certainly, we've seen Rebecca be overwhelmed. I don't know if you remember, but there were some flashbacks with her having them all at home and her being very overwhelmed, which you guys, totally, totally relatable. I had three in 10 and a half months, three infants at home. Oh my gosh, I don't know how she did it with no help. I I really don't because it would be so, so, so difficult. So, I mean, applaud her, but also I was confused about how they kind of went from like where they were in the hospital. This was kind of supposed to be that transition and it felt clunky and confusing. Something that you pointed out to me that I had forgotten or more like just kind of misplaced in my mind that people should remember is that they're only a day or two removed from having lost the other baby. Kyle, yes. No, weirdly, let me point this out, though. The three babies in the back are Kevin, Kate, and Kyle. Because Randall's still Kyle at this point, which is super weird, and I'm never going to let it go. You would have to put a, a baby's name on the birth certificate. So... That child had been named. They named the babies. But that's not today's discussion. Ah. You mentioned that Rebecca's behavior is a little off for Rebecca. She's doing a lot of staring. I wouldn't say, I don't want to say it's off. I just want to say that it's very much like observing. And there's a lot going on behind her eyes. Like, I feel like every time she's looking around at Jack or the kids or the or the way that the car seats were in, there's like this whole calculation thing going on behind her eyes. Now, I understand on, on, on one part, I mean, obviously, death of a child, two kids coming home, a third child you just adopted, Right. Yeah. All of this is happening. At meanwhile, time. Jack is like, beep up, let's turn on the radio. And also going in and drinking and then coming back out and asking me to drive. Like, I mean, this is a confusing set of circumstances. And I think Mandy Moore portrayed confusion <laughs> and concern and just kind of being like very discombobulated very well. But what happens to Jack between Dr. K conversations and rah-rahing Rebecca on to adopting the third baby, and even to the point of gathering the hospital supplies, he has a little bit of a rough time with the car seat. The police officer says, ooh, three, yeah, that's terrible. But it's like his entire personality changes at that point. Yeah. All the things we saw leading up to that. Oh, the 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 holding Mandy Moore's hand, bringing her down the hall, telling her how they can do this. All of that evaporates on the ride home. Now, maybe this is just the moment of truth. Like, oh, shit. His nerves do actually come out and they manifest in this kind of being a jerk. Well, and you've talked a good talk about how we can all do this. We can all get it done. But now you're driving the car home with three babies and you couldn't even put in the car seat. Maybe it's just all come to roost here. And so, oh, I can give them that. It was just like a real whiplash. Do I think they should have said that Jack was scared and stuff? Sure. Just this part where I felt like they were so isolated, Paul. Whatever was going on with the two of them, if this is the mile marker where they start leading two different lives inside their heads, I would not be surprised. 
Like, if you went back and watched this chronologically, I think they were on the same page when she's doing the sexy dance for him five minutes before they head to the hospital. And then they both go through all this. They handle the death of the baby in two very different ways. She's sad. He wants to replace the baby. And they kind of both cocoon up in a lot of ways. And this ride home feels like we're watching the cocooning of these two characters. Especially uh, one of those mile markers that you just mentioned could be that, yes, Jack did admit to having the whiskey and asking Rebecca to drive, even though that's not what you normally would do with a woman who had just given birth. But he was kind of a second away from not doing it. Right. Right. Which, which, you know, worrisome in, in, uh, in the history of secret keeping, that's kind of the stage you get to just before you start keeping secrets. And that's the thing. See, I think there's going to be some blowback. I think that at some point we should pick up right when they're getting back home. And there should be some amount, you know, I know we saw them like sitting there and waiting for the babies to wake up and stuff. But I think there's going to be some moment of let's review that ride home. (laughs) You know, let's review the fact that you like had a drink. And now here's the thing, too. I was trying to figure out like that's like a shot of whiskey, essentially. No, that's not enough to make you drunk or something like that. I mean, especially not a guy like Jack who's been drinking for a long time. I mean, it would be it would take maybe the tiniest of the edge off, but it, it certainly is. I, I, I believe you'd pass a breathalyzer and everything like that. It, it isn't like overdoing it. It's just like bad optics and just bad on principle. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have any drinks before you drive your baby's home. You know, bad idea. But, you know, in terms of true danger, he just seemed like he was on edge. Like you wouldn't believe. I mean, hello, he was going to be that dude up and he made Rebecca like scream her head off I don't know if you remember but again women's bodies in a way when you just had babies like the chances of she like just peed her pants and or like blood could have been coming out because she's like yelling like raising her blood pressure like that terrible terrible choices here so she was going through a lot well but it also indicates where Jack's nerves were probably Oh, you yeah. know, tie in the weird flip attitude in the car and then feeling like his kids are all of a sudden in danger. And and for the first time, he's got to be like Papa Bear mode. Yeah. So he's not sure how to handle himself either, mm-hmm. which is sort of new, Very new. For, for Jack. If you noticed when Kevin has the waking dream or the lucid dream of Jack, it wasn't hairy bearded Jack that was doing all this shit. It was the idealized final phase Jack that had just the mustache and kind of the, the mullet, but the the version that died. It's the dad of his childhood. I mean, it's Pilgrim Rick. But it's the, I think it's his... The version that he's trying to live up to, as opposed to the version they're showing us in this one, which is the talk's a good talk, Jack. Do you want to cross over to the uh, Kevin story? Well, first, I would like to end this one by saying that I hope we pick this part back up because I'm realizing that this is a gap, you know, in the storyline that we have because I couldn't figure out where he was with the drinking. And by bringing it back up like this, it's obvious that something, there could be something more that goes on during this time. So I kind of think we have to head right back to this spot again. You know, in some ways with COVID, babies might be tough, but I think they're using a lot of dolls. Me too. And I mean, like a lot of parent hands wearing the same shirts and shit as reaching into the scene so that you can fudge it together in editing. I agree with that wholeheartedly, especially, I mean, when you think about this ride home thing, all the babies were faced backwards. So you you couldn't see anybody. I mean, they would just have like close-ups on a baby's face, but that was it. So I mean, clever, clever ways to get around COVID this time. I do appreciate that we had like a car full of five people in theory and 
they shot that, you know, they were able to do that. So good on them. Or two people and three dolls. dolls. Yeah. Right. But it was still a full family car. Yeah. They yeah. figured out a way around it. So good on that. Okay. So let's talk about another full family car. This time minus one. So we have the four Pearsons in this one. Madison, Kevin, and Franny, and Nikki. These four, what do you think about these guys? Well, for one... If Madison is not winning you over yet, then what is wrong with you? <laughs> I agree. I think she came through like a superstar in this episode. I mean, from letting Kevin sleep to dealing with the paparazzi like a freaking queen. I mean, I thought she was fantastic. I loved how she just kind of dealt with him, too. Was able to just say, I'm going to drive. You sit over there. You go to sleep. And then left him snoozing in the car. And she comes in. And she's like drinking her drink and just like dealing with the babies. She she seems like a natural mother in a way that's like, yeah, she's got two and this is going to be a handful, but she does not have the deer in headlights look. Now, she is an older mom comparatively because if she's anywhere near Kevin's age, Kevin's 40. Let's even give her 35, okay? Because no one ever mentioned advanced maternal age business past 35. So let's say she's 34, 35. Rebecca was way in her young 20s. Yeah. So we got a very different scenario here. We have an, an, an older mother who, in theory, should be, you know, a little bit more relaxed in her own skin. And she she seemed that way, man. She just played the part. What were highs and lows of Madison time? Oh, I thought she handled herself like a pro. And like her babies were the quietest. Uh <laughs> <laughs> they were, weren't they? Yeah. And the two storylines, the Kevin and the Jack storylines, were meant to be the, this week's parallels, right? Yeah, absolutely. In both, you had the dads losing their shit and the moms needing to drive home. Right, but handling it in different ways. Like Rebecca just staying at the car and just screaming, essentially. While as Madison marched herself over there and inserted herself in the situation and was like, no, this is how we're going to do it. And told him to walk away. Mm -hmm. Much different in the way that they were approaching. Now, again, much different relationships. Rebecca's much younger than Jack. She's always kind of played a little bit more of a submissive role to him in terms of him being, you know, sort of like this older more worldly guy and she was sort of more naive and hadn't really done anything yet in the world. Not the same for Madison. Madison has, you know, her own house, her own career, her own life. And very much you can see that the dynamic between her and Kevin are going to be much more equal. How did you feel that we nailed it last week when we called that Kevin was trying to live up to Jack? And then that's basically what they said. You don't yeah. need to live up to me, son. Uh, I mean, of course, this is as a, as a, one of our co-podcasters would say, this is the portion of the show where we... Toot our own fucking horns. Toot our own fucking horns. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so shout out to Mike and Sheila on that one. I would say that, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we had to have this exact scene where it was like so literal where there was actually a jack standing there although i have to say seeing adult kevin with adult jack we've never seen that before that I, in, in my recollection and so to actually see them where it's not a teenager it's not anything it's actually adult kevin of this age to see them standing there together that was tearjerker because, you know, they can't have that conversation because Jack, you know, passed away much earlier. So the whole thing was a lot for me to see the two of them standing together. Wasn't there a scene at the cabin once? Was he older, though? I mean, certainly, I, hey, I'm going to even hedge my bet and say there's no way he was 40 plus how, so many days, Paul. 
<laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, maybe when he was 39, maybe he did see Jack. But yeah. I'm going to say no, he, this was, one was, was... he was never this old. And so it was it was as old as we've seen Kevin with Jack. And that to see them as peers and to see them, I mean, for God's sake, you know, Jack might even be a younger man than Kevin's supposed to be in this one. You know, he could have been in his 30s, which is so, that's one of those like mind boggling things when you ever think of people who've passed away in your family and you're like, I'm 40, whatever now. And they passed away at 36. Oh my God, like I'm older than they were. How could it, how could I have passed them? You know, because they stay the same in your head. So, so weird. But I think that this is a lot of fan service in that regard. Like, I don't know that I personally needed to see the two of them stand together and have this conversation. I think that Kevin could have worked this out without there being like an actual ghost of Jack standing there. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of fan service, seeing Jack standing with Kevin, having this dad conversation is heartwarming and, you know, made me feel like it really did close the book on his concerns of like having to be Jack. I mean, this is a definitive moment. Like if you're not going to move past it when the ghost sees you, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what else you need. So, so in that regard, I I felt really good about this. What did you think? Did you think we should actually have Milo standing there or should it have been like, you know, he should have just like read Jack's journal or something a little bit more abstract. No, I was, I was cool with the connection and especially how they were showing us imperfect Jack, you know, on the same day of their lives, bringing home their kids, right? The yes. How the idea that Kevin is constantly living in the shadow of, of this man who he doesn't actually know everything about that he thinks he does, right? Mm-hmm. And that person is much more flawed than he recalls or wants to recall, which is not uncommon with the dead. <laughs> Everyone gets sainthood when you die in right. our family. So the, the episode served to remind us that Jack had his own struggles, that we shouldn't as fans idealize him as much as we might, and to give maybe Kevin a break. <laughs> As as former Kevin uh, well, criticizers, criti- yeah, criticizers, yeah. That that's a <clears throat> he appears to be a very privileged person that, that takes a lot for granted and, and is kind of kind of runs over people sometimes. But he's grown. He's he's been a better person. I was gonna say, wow, for not criticizing Kevin, that was like a mouthful. No, no, he, he well, no, he did. I know he did. It's true. I hey, you know what I have to say about him? I didn't actually think he was doing that bad. You know, getting mad at the paparazzi for following them, I didn't think was out of line. I think it was okay to feel unnerved by that and okay to feel, me and you are the generation who saw Princess Diana die. So for me, when you say paparazzi is tailing you, I don't take that lightly. I don't take that as like, oh, he should just be cool about it. No, I think that that must be frightening. And especially, again, that first Papa Bear instinct that he's feeling of like, I have my babies and my fiance in the car. This guy is a potential threat. You know, he could run up on me or flash pictures in my eyes when I'm driving or do something, right? Well, when Madison talked to him, if, I mean, assuming he was just telling the truth. Yeah, he was kind of like he, a he suicide was, bomber up there. He was there. a complete parasite. Yeah. No family, no friends. Just yeah. just takes pictures of famous people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like I like uh, what the Fogelmans must think of uh, paparazzi, huh? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we got with the writing room has to think about those who earn their money this way. <laughs> but you know what? Good for Madison for understanding how to play the game. And I think that that was the first little nugget we got from her where she seems to understand Kevin's profession. And she seems to be able to start navigating it in a way that could work for a family. You know, being able to say, look, 
don't bother us now as a family. Let us get home safely. But you want to take a picture of him jogging later with his shirt off? Not a problem. Give me your number. I'll give you a call. You know, stay out of his way. But that's his work, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's part of his life. But when it comes to us and this little tiny foursome, let us have our little moment here. I think that's as smooth and suave as you could possibly handle that type of situation, you know? So I give Madison tons of credit. And I think that Kevin's overwhelming feeling of like, I want you to be my partner in life felt realistic and earned by Madison in that moment. Because I said last week, some shit was unearned. But this felt like she is just showing what a strong person she can be and someone he can rely on and count on to have his back because she literally did. And that's not something that I necessarily thought of, Madison, because before this, why do you have to eat like that? Why do you have to go exercise? Why do you, you're making me feel bad about myself? Blah, blah, blah. We had this kind of Madison that didn't necessarily feel like she was going to click with the life he has to lead. But now I'm like, she seems like a, like she freaking fell right into this role. She like knows what to do. It's like someone mentored her, you know, how to be in a famous family and how to be a mom who can handle this shit. She, she could write a book. Does that jive with your own observations of, of women pre and post birth? Cause I can tell you, yes, it kind oh. of does. Well, tell me everything <laughs> because I'm, I'm a woman who, who was pre and post birth, but you probably have a more well, a different perspective. I was kind of there for the whole uh, uh, process with you and, you know, going into it, being a mother was your thing the whole time you've been alive. I definitely wanted to be a mom. So prepping for it and, and all that, you didn't necessarily have this big switch flip moment that was like, okay, I'm a mom. I'm taking shit seriously now. It, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't like that for you. Definitely not. But I have met other women over the course of my life, and and that motherhood segment did change who they were and what they were about. Okay, so I'm going to clarify that for our listeners because they might be like, what? Okay, so I feel like I was probably the same person all the way until our hospital experiences got very life and death. And I think that's actually what made me grow up real fast. I mean, I was 25. I was teaching preschool. I was definitely like a very lighthearted, very silly, very easygoing person. I would be teased all the time that I never raised my voice. I was just very sweet and silly and easygoing. Once you get into situations where they're looking at you to make life and death decisions for two little babies, which we were having to, if not daily, definitely weekly, we were being asked different things. It changed me for sure. It was, I mean, I remember coming home and having my, that streak of gray hair that I was like, what is this? I did not go to the hospital with this, but it just the, the strain on me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that it did change my personality and for a period of time, I do think it changed my personality because it was something that you and I talked about a lot where I was like, I feel like I lost my like sense of humor here. Like I can't be lighthearted because nothing was lighthearted about what we were dealing with. And and over time, I mean, now I'm silly and I can be lighthearted again. And 
And certainly that came back gradually and stuff, which, but I can see what you're saying. Maybe some moms, it doesn't ever come back. You know, you don't ever go back to your childlike wonder previously. But I think that for me, and especially I would say with Rebecca, I mean, I think we're going to see her get, she's not going to be the smiley girl singing on stage with her, you know, guitar and whatnot kind of singing. I think we're going to see a much more strained Rebecca and same with Jack. He's not going to be that easygoing, anything can happen guy because I mean, three babies, you know, it's a lot. Guys, I had times when I fed two, one baby two times and I didn't feed another baby. And, and I eventually, my parents said to Paul, you have to get someone in there to help her because I literally couldn't keep anything straight. And our children were not identical twins or anything. <laughs> they looked exactly like I could tell the difference. I just couldn't remember anymore. I couldn't keep things straight. And me and Rebecca were probably actually close in age really. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that that's probably dead on, but yeah, I think you're right, Paul, in terms of it changing you being a parent change you. I mean, I think it changed you as well. I think for you though, this is going to come in a different way. I don't think it came at exactly the same time because when you give birth and then I feel like they're always turning to mom for like questions, they always would ask me first. And then if you were in the room, they'd also ask you, but like, they would always ask me first. (laughs) Right. What do you want to do? And then they take opinions. (laughs) Any dissenters? No. Um, but, but I think for you, I mean, like I, we have all these little pictures of you being so, so, so young with babies on your lap or babies in a baby Bjorn and you're like still playing video games and you're still like doing all the things you were doing literally two weeks before they were born. But over time, stuff fell away. And only more recently has really everything come back in a way where you can play video games and you can do all that kind of stuff again, mainly because you're teaching them how to do all those kinds of things. Yeah, it was a more gradual soul crushing than, uh, oh my God. than the physical act of giving birth. Uh, mine were like, but mine went away like black and white, and then gradually my good humor came back. Where I think for you, it was like you gradually lost your good humor, and then now you fight to bring some of it back. But it's like we kind of both are ending up in a lot of the same places, but it's hard to keep that balance. I think for all parents, it's hard to keep that balance, though, right? And I think that we have some good examples here with Kevin and Jack and Randall and Beth and Rebecca and Madison. I think all of them are showing really good examples of different ways that different parents handle things. Rebecca getting super silent. I know some women who I can guarantee were probably very silent on the way home. And they were just doing the calculations of like, how many diapers do I have? How many times? What time is it now? What time do I need to do this? Do I have time to do, you know, it's just like constant scheduler. I've got many friends I could put in that category. Or then you have um, Beth who's like, let's get that blizzard on because it's her second kid and she's older and she's just more relaxed and she's got a very with it partner who they made sure to say was there the whole time they like specifically put that line in there that's all to say that going from the kind of neurotic madison that preceded this mom version and then going to this woman that has it together that's not as big a jump as as some people might call it that's all I mean to say <laughs> with with that comparison uh, to, to women in, in real life. I, I think, think I've seen it. We need to remember that even though during the actual birth couple of um, episodes we've had with Madison, during the time in our hospital, she was saying things like, I can't believe I have to do this alone. However, previous to that, for many months she had been mentally preparing herself for this idea that she was okay if Kevin wasn't even interested in being a dad. She was going to be okay if she was doing this on her own. So something tells me that she had had a lot of the conversations in her head already. You know, when she went to the doctor and found out she was pregnant, found out it was twins, all those things, she had come to the conclusion that she was going to do this on her own. And 
that this was somewhat of a blessing because she thought she couldn't have kids. So she had like a really different perspective. And I think she's going to have a different perspective, much like with us, where we had like, we didn't know if our girls would live. And then after that, anytime I saw a mom like slapping a kid at Walmart, my heart would break in half because I would be like, you don't know how lucky you are to have this baby. You could have lost to this baby. You know, you don't even know what you're doing. And I would have that extra like sentimentality about it. I think that Madison stands to have that too, because there was a shot she wasn't even going to have kids. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when she's like a little bit more playful and calling him like, you sound like a velociraptor and being silly, I think that that's that part of being able to appreciate what you have because you didn't think you were going to have it. Speaking of another couple who didn't think they were going to have it, Kate and Toby, let's move on over to them because, boy, this was a push and pull and push and pull two episodes with them and Ellie. What's your take on Ellie? Well, if you recall, Caroline, last week we had discussed whether or not the show was willing to take a group and cast any kind of shadow on them. And with the open adoption and free love fest that was supposed to be the relationship between Kate, Toby, and Ellie moving forward, that seemed like, nope, they weren't willing to say that people have problems that last a long time and it's and it's hard to deal with. And, right. and this week they said, actually, maybe there's more trauma here than we allowed for last week in that another realistic and okay way to deal with this that may not be as positive in your mind, but still okay, is Ellie reacting the way she did this week. Right. And 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 I want to be clear. I think that still, though, they protected Ellie in that she signed the papers. She signed the birth certificate. She made her little Haley de Comet joke and all that kind of stuff. So they did not paint birth mothers in like a take it back kind of way, which I do think is clear because I don't think that what I said last week is off base. All they did was allow her to have emotions about it, mm-hmm. which we're totally okay with. And she's allowed to feel mixed and, and allowed to feel pain about what's going on here. I think that's super realistic, but they didn't make her take the baby back. And that's what I'm saying is the line where like, they're not going to do that because it would paint this situation in a negative light, in my opinion. And so I don't think the writers are going to do that because they want people to be encouraged to, to do adoptions in various ways, you know? Yeah. So I think that it's honoring the birth mom by saying, we're not trying to act like it was easy for you to sign those papers or that it was easy, but they were so crystal clear, Paul, the conversation about last week of this is the greatest thing I could do for you. You're going to have such a good life. Toby and Kate are great parents, you know, all that stuff. One thing I'm going to, I have to bring up because it just feels like a crazy oversight is I wonder if Ellie, and this would be a fair concern, would say, you guys have a child with a significant disability. Are you sure that this is okay? And or will will this other baby's needs be met mm-hmm. in, the, in the way that, that, that it needs to be? Because prior to this, we're going to blind baby workshops and we're going to the music place where we can't stay because Jack didn't like it. Well, now you're going to have Haley there too. Does Haley have to leave if Jack doesn't like it? How are you guys are gonna, you going to two baby places? Are you going to two baby classes? Because that's realistic stuff, guys. When you have a child who has some sort of special need and you have a sibling, well, now there is a balancing act of like, well, how much 
is okay for Jack and what is he comfortable with and what is Haley either going to be able to do or may have to skip because it's not comfortable for Jack. They're not addressing those types of things. And I kind of thought Ellie might have a moment. And I, and I think as we go forward, I know with COVID, we can't bring Jack up. So Jack's like a total, like always with the babysitter business. And that's okay. But I think it's really, really, really glossing over this idea that they have a child with disabilities at home. Is this going to be a simple ad to add another baby? And is there anyone who's going to go without on either side, Jack or Haley? That would be a realistic story to bring in as they get further into parenting. Um, And I think they should. If they skip it, then they're doing a disservice to... It's kind of like, why have the blind storyline? Why did you guys even go down this path if you were going to act like there were no extra challenges? Yeah. The way that this episode ends up with both parents sort of on different sides of how to feel about Ellie, I'm all Toby on this one. Where did you come down on... Did you see Kate's side of the argument at all? Like, in terms of how, how much more upset about Ellie's change of heart that she was than Toby? See, I think that this piggybacks off of what Toby didn't experience in the hospital. Because Toby was outside and didn't have any of those vibes that were going on with Ellie. Didn't have that weird staring she was doing when when Kate was talking to Toby last week. Didn't have that moment. He wasn't there when Ellie says, no, actually, I want to hold the baby first. Mm -hmm. Didn't have all those. so, So consider each one of those a tug at the rug, okay, that Kate's standing on. And It's like every time we've seemed to have a little bit of a plan set with Ellie, she seems to tug the rug. And so when you get to this part, this wasn't the first time Ellie did this. This was the second or third time when she made Kate reevaluate what they had agreed to and what Ellie was actually doing. And so I think that for Toby, he could take it in stride because he hadn't just lived through that. You know, he didn't go have to stand alone in another empty room while Ellie was talking to the baby. That might have unnerved Toby. And again, we didn't have that moment. They didn't film it and they didn't show it. Like she could have called Toby in that moment and we could have had that conversation between the two of them where she's like, I'm freaking out, Toby. Like she decided to take the baby and I don't have her and I'm kind of scared. We didn't have any of those scenes where they could have actually connected on this. So I think that it's it's warranted that the, that the reactions would be very different. Also, of course, we have Kate who has lived an entire lifetime and now is trying to be uber sensitive to Randall's situation. She watched everything that went on with William. She's now somewhat familiar with what went on with with Laurel, although they haven't shown them really exchange notes on the fact of what happened with Randall's mom or where Mm -hmm, she really was. So we could just assume that some amount there. So you could see where she is really trying to write what she perceived as a wrong right? She's trying to stop the cycle of like, well, I saw my brother struggle with this. I'm happy to be an adoptive parent, but I want to make sure that my kiddo has everything they need. I just don't want to see them struggle about this. I think that's all fair. There's only so much you can do. See, but that's so harsh, Paul, because if Ellie wasn't willing to do an open adoption... And now and she's all she's very, very, very in her right to change her mind. I could see where you would say the best thing for me to do is to pull the metal gate down in front of me and walk the other way and never to be opened again. I could see where your heart could heal, perhaps in a different way than if you continued to watch this other family and watch your child grow and they come to your other child's birthday party and all this. I mean, that would kind of mess with me. 
Because mm-hmm. why aren't you taking your baby home? Why isn't Haley going with Willow and going home with you? You know, just because you kind of just just can't deal with it. Like I, I could see where that would really make you struggle. You know, every time you saw them. But again, that's not the adoption plan that they set forth. They wanted an open adoption. And, uh, and, and I mean, I don't know, I don't know that much of adoption, so I don't want to be speaking out of turn, but for what I understand, when you're going forward, I mean, you are choosing a closed adoption where, where the birth parents will not be named or anything versus a, an open adoption where, where everything's available to everybody all the time. I mean, I think from that fork in the road, you're taking a very big step in one direction or the other. But as those, as the adopted parents, if the birth parent decides to just lose your number or whatever, what else are you supposed to do? I mean, I think you're looking at a Deja Randall Beth situation, aren't you? Where like mom just kind of leaves in the night kind of sitch where it's like you may or may not have connections back with the mom. But then look at that. Deja always had that throbbing heart for wanting to make sure her mom was okay and stuff too. So I think that they've shown it at different ages. I think in that moment, in this episode, the ride, you let Ellie go. You leave her alone. You say, heal up, sleep, eat, you know, whatever, and you leave her be, you know? Mm-hmm. What I don't know, Paul, and they didn't specify this to my knowledge, is if she signed anything on the paperwork that said closed or open. Because one thing that I did think was rather odd was how Kate and Toby were outside while she was inside signing paperwork, and they didn't appear to ever, like, look at the paperwork. Oh, right. And so I kind of thought, like, I think there's probably boxes you check where it says open or closed. And that stuff's signed. So then you're like, well, you could still say open and certainly reduce your contact to where it's essentially closed because you just don't have any contact with the people. But she seemed to have already made her mind up that she didn't want to do that. So I don't know where that lands this family right now. I hadn't considered the writing of the wrong portion. Oh, I think that's everything. I think that's when you heard Kate say, I watched my brother look for his parents, all that. I think it was a hundred percent trying to stop the cycle. And I think you saw that with Kevin and, and Jack, the whole, like, I want to, I want to stop the cycle of trying to, like he said, I was desperately afraid to become my dad. You're desperately afraid to not be your dad. Stop the cycle. You mm-hmm. don't need to be desperately afraid of anything. Just be a dad and be you and you're great. You know, so I, I think that was the entire, the ride here, stopping the cycle of feeling like you have to do it in a certain way. I wonder, I don't know that I could be a, a great partner for Kate on that one. Cause in terms of having this adopted baby, if I was Toby, chances are I'm thinking I wanted the baby, not necessarily a lifelong relationship with Ellie. And Willow and this whole other side of the family. Right. Because what you just said about the feelings for the mother could eventually end up pretty well confusing that kid, too. I think so. If Because uh, what would you say you are to them? I know that people play all those games where they say this is like aunt whatever or, you know, this is your older sister business. I mean, you've heard all those kind of like ways that people try to incorporate the people still back in the family, but they try to not explain the relationship. I, I don't know how that's actually like a win-win, but I don't know. I'm sure there are very successful open adoptions that are... Very healthy relationships for everybody. In my opinion, Kate was going above and beyond. I think an open adoption where you send pictures, where you have like, you know, once in a while you meet up or something like that, that seems like 
the moderate version. Yeah. She seemed like she was with the willow likes the unicorns. Like that seems like the extreme getting involved in my everyday life with my other kid. Need to back off. That seemed like too much to me. Yeah. So I think that was just Kate in overdrive. And again, I do think that there's mothering instincts that come in with adoptive moms too. I know I don't know all the science on this. So you guys, if you're out there and you're saying like, oh my God, I'm a, you know, an obstetrician and I know everything about this. Okay. I apologize. But I do believe that there is something about bonding with the baby at the beginning and stuff that she would be having her own mama bear hormone stuff going on that even though she didn't give birth, I do think that there's something that is coming out of her as well, where she's trying to kind of goo. protect the baby, not goo, not like that <laughs> ball, but you know what I mean? Like some sort of protectiveness and trying to do right by her. I just think that this isn't something you have to settle in one day and certainly not on the ride home. You know, that's my main thing is, but I guess the fear would be the second Ellie gets out of the car. She's gone forever. She could be gone forever. Yeah. Now, here's the good news. We've seen Haley and Jack in the future. We know that they're good buddies. We know that Haley comes to pick him up. We know that they get along. We've seen that Haley comes to the hospital when Jack's wife has the baby. We know they're good, right? Mm -hmm. We know that they have a healthy, happy relationship with one another, it seems. As adults. As adults. We could say the same about Randall and Kevin if you just saw them. And yet we know that they had a difficult sibling rivalry sitch going on when they were younger. So we don't know what Haley and Jack are going to be like when they're young. And again, I really hope that they don't gloss over the fact that now they've sort of created a twins situation because the both babies are very young. And Jack, no doubt, being blind, he is there would be absolutely no reason he would not be developmentally delayed between being in the NICU and between being blind. He's not going to be on level with his age. Mm -hmm. So chances of him and Haley actually kind of being at about the same level kind of quickly here won't be a surprise. P.S. Having twins six weeks early, you probably would go to the NICU, but never mind about that. Never mind about that. You're talking about Kevin and... Yes. Madison's babies. Yes. I mean, I think you probably would get checked out, but I think they, again, this was quick. Like, we didn't really dwell on anyone's real birth story here, including Ellie's. Like, there wasn't a lot of dwelling. It was pretty much like, baby's born. Like, we're starting labor. We're born. We're here. They're fine. We're going home. As we learned in our uh, Facebook posts last week, uh, where I asked if people gave a shit about um, Kevin getting to the room on time or not <laughs> apparently no one gives a shit yeah. how he got there. <laughs> I mean, there there were a few tsa people that said no way would that happen there were other people that said oh no you can get in with an electric bill i don't know who to believe on that i can just but... tell you like i was standing there in that line not that long ago and i can tell you that they said no to the man in front of me he didn't have a license that matched the ticket and it was a no-go the man behind the counter did not say might you have an electric bill or something <laughs> else he didn't say do you have like a student id or something he didn't say anything he was like you don't have a driver's license go away from me so yeah it was a non-conversation he had to leave the line it was over. He was not going on the plane. So I don't know. I mean, you guys, I know that a lot of people out there right now are feeling like, again, my least favorite sentence that has to do with anything that we podcast about is it's it's just a TV show. (laughs) 
obviously, guys, but, you know, we enjoy good storytelling. And so if we are coming to you and we're saying, you know, I question this, it's not because everything always has to be realistic. Paul and I watch other shows. We watch WandaVision. We watch fantasy shows. We watch all kinds of things that, guess what? People like appear and reappear in different rooms and never are you going to hear us say, you know what? The physics on that doesn't add up. We're never going to say that. But when it comes to character development, it comes to the why people do things and what they're trying to set up. If they're trying to set this up as an obstacle, he can't get to the birth. And then they just, again, just mush over what the solution was to that. I feel cheated. I feel like I don't care how far-fetched the solution was. You should have given me something, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't care if you said he barged past, got on the plane, and flew it himself. I would say, crazy. But at least you gave me something. Uh, I agree. Just the whole... It's just storytelling. I just need some of those details. I understand. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe they couldn't tell that story for one reason. Yeah, we're real confused about the timing here, guys, and about how things are coming out. I know Mandy Moore gave birth today, or at least in the last couple of days, Paul. The announcement came out today. So, baby Gus was born happy and healthy. All was well. Congratulations. Yeah. Well. I say that because if you remember at the very beginning, we did a panel with Vogelman and all of them, and they said she was basically going to work as long as she could work. Mm. And they weren't planning on writing around her, and they weren't planning on doing anything odd. They were just going to have her work as long as she could work. So, again, the fact that a couple of weeks ago we had a weird hiccup with how things came out. I don't know, again, if this is going to, if things are going to get messy as we continue with the season. You asked if I thought this would be a shorter season. Don't know. I don't know if they're going to have to make any adjustments. Well, this is the ninth episode, which would be the halfway point of an 18-episode season. And in the past couple of seasons, this is the part where they would do their cliffhanger, but also where they would put in their flash forward. And there was our flash we forward. A, a little nuggy. I, I wouldn't say that was enough. I don't, I don't think it was a cliffhanger, but it was, it was a flash forward. It was a flash forward to let us know that all three of Randall's girls are alive and well and there and are in attendance and in good standing with everybody. Yeah. So that's a yay. That's that's basically what we're looking for. Isn't that sad? But that's kind of like where we are for the future. It's like, are you there? Right? Yeah. Are you alive? Do you seem okay? And are you in good standing with everyone else in the family? Like that's all we're really looking at. Because it whether it had been Beth and Randall, are they they're both there, but are they married? What's their standing? You know, like kind of looking at where everybody is and how everyone's playing out. That's kind of all that this future scenes really giving us right now. But again, I think this was a great episode. I was really happy with it. And I could see where Fogelman might have written this episode knowing that Mandy Moore was pretty big and pregnant when you really do the math on this one. She was. She still had a really big belly because she just gave birth. So that was really nice because they said they weren't going to write around her pregnancy. So cool because mm. that was probably most definitely her real belly. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool, right? That that he kind of found a way to do that. And why I think we might get an episode that picks up right away with no weight loss, no nothing, because likely it will be right when she is still either pregnant or even just maybe come back. I don't know when she, I don't know how filming is working for them, but either which way, she will still have a big pregnant belly. That works. They didn't write around it. Good on them. Good well, storytelling, Paul. That's our coverage for the ninth episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. Uh, we look forward to whatever they put out next week. If hopefully they do. Uh, this is Paul. This is Caroline. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. 
Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you.